Hi, I'm Leah Potter. I'm Meredith Roten, and we are two news editors at the DW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in D.C., covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. Leah, you've got a story that everyone has been talking about this week, and you've got a more in-depth look at what happened at Alpha Phi and the actions the university is taking against them and what students are saying about this. Can you start off with maybe, you know, just like general campus reaction? Yeah, so the story was kind of wild because it happened in about 24 hours. Everything sort of went down within a day. And so there was a photo, for those of you who don't know, a Snapchat photo of two women who we believe to be in the Alpha Phi sorority. And one of them was holding up a banana peel. And the Snapchat caption read, Izzy, quote, I'm 116th black. We're not we're not sure who the people are in the photo. Like, it's not been confirmed. It hasn't been confirmed. We have some ideas based on what people have told us and right. also just other people identifying the faces in the original photo. Okay. What has Alpha Phi said in reaction to this? They released a statement Thursday night on their Facebook page addressing the incident, and then shortly thereafter, they took down the statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, for also a period of time, they took down their Instagram page and also their Facebook page mm-hmm. and have been pretty non-responsive to anyone reaching out. I have tried contacting the chapter's president of Alpha Phi on campus, mm-hmm. and every time you call her, her mailbox is full. She's not responding to emails. Um, she, she has talked to the Hatchet in the past, but I uh-huh. think after this incident, she's probably just flooded with comments and questions oh, and I'm concerns. Sure. Yeah. And you went, you actually went down to the townhouse yesterday. Yes, I went down with our senior news editor, Andrew, and we rang the doorbell. We knocked several times. There is paper covering the window in the front door, so you can't really see in. And right. they, I think if they had decorations, they took them down because all the oh, other okay. sororities on that street have lots of decorations, lots of sparkles going on. Mm-hmm. But it kind of seems like no one's home or they're just hiding out and not really talking to anyone. And a lot of times after these types of incidents, uh, the national or the international organization in this case will tell a chapter not to talk to the media and instead mm-hmm. they'd rather take care of themselves. And I mean, they have kind of a good reason to hide. Like, what are people calling for? People are calling for both just a greater discussion about instances mm-hmm. like this where it's racially insensitive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are calling for just more diversity training and discussions about diversity because they think that this comment was thought to be funny or a joke because people aren't as sensitive to these issues as they should be and don't really understand what their words can carry. Like, people people don't want them on campus anymore. Yeah, a lot of student groups and just students in general are calling for the chapter to be removed from campus. The, the three women who were involved in generating the photo, mm-hmm. so the woman who took the photo and captioned it and the other two women who were actually in the photo, have been removed from the sorority. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people still say that's not enough, that we need the chapter removed. Not only is this like a racially insensitive incident that happened, but you talked to people who said this wasn't the first time. Right. So at first, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, this was just three girls. We don't really know the situation beyond that. We can't okay. make assumptions. So then I reached out to as many both disaffiliated members, but also current members of Alpha Phi that Mm -hmm. I could. And I spoke to one of them and she talked about her experience in Alpha Phi and really why she disaffiliated. And she said, 
as soon as she saw the Snapchat photo, which was shared with her via friends, that it just reaffirmed why she left the sorority. She talked about several different instances, one of which was that when she first joined, she was put in. So in Alpha Phi, they have like lineages or families, and Uh her family was called the ethnic family. And they put mainly only racial minorities in that family. I think uh, sorority sisters who were white could sometimes join, but it was more just like, as she said, like boxing in racial minorities together and kind of lumping them together. And she said that at first she was happy to celebrate her diversity and thought that this was a way to do that. And then she slowly Mm -hmm. realized that it was really just isolating racial minorities from all the other white sisters in the sorority. And this is not a new criticism of Greek life on this campus, right? No, a lot of people, I mean, especially after this photo was taken, were just uh, reiterating the idea that sororities and, I guess, fraternities, too, are predominantly white within the Panhellenic Association and also the Interfraternity Council. And a lot of people were saying, like, yes, we do have the multicultural Greek council, but obviously we have a problem because the majority of our Greek life is made up by white students. And mm-hmm. they said that, yes, that's reflective of GW's campus because, as we reported on in the past, we do underrepresent minorities, but that right. there is something going on with the recruitment process or just in general, they're not necessarily encouraging diversity within their groups. And also, the woman who disaffiliated also said that when she was in the sorority, her big was the only black woman in the sorority mm-hmm. and that she was commonly referred to as the token black girl in the sorority. And she also mentioned instances where she would be sitting in the Alpha Phi townhouse where one of her sisters would either be singing something or quoting something that included a racial slur. And so she really thought this was like a problem with Alpha Phi. Yeah, and even in recruitment, she talked about how, so they have these things called bump groups where you're talking to different girls during recruitment days, mm-hmm. and she mentioned that she was in a group of four girls and it was predominantly racial minorities, and that during the recruitment process, Alpha Phi leadership was often like, don't come to recruitment, like, we don't need you there. And she was like, well, no, like, we want to be a part of this. And they're like, no, like, you can come for a little bit, but like, we really don't feel like you have to be there. And she was thinking in the back of her head, just like, we're most of your racial minorities like we need to be talking to women who are also minorities so that they Mm -hmm. know this is a safe place for them to come and like we want them to join we obviously want diversity and it was more at that point that she decided to disaffiliate she waited until after the recruitment process and Mm -hmm. she's already in alpha v at that time but yeah she felt very uncomfortable by that situation and what what else have students been saying like in reaction i know you talked about naacp and their reaction, but there was that big meeting on Thursday night, right after this had happened, where students could have a chance to like voice what they were feeling. People at the meeting were, they were saying that they actually weren't that surprised that something like this had been posted or had been created, mm-hmm. but that they were extremely disappointed in both how the university has kind of dealt with this issue in the past, but also looking more towards Greek life and Greek life leaders and how they're addressing issues of diversity mm-hmm. because most sororities and fraternities aren't very diverse. And they, a lot of them felt that diversity training is something that has been lacking within the Greek life community, more campus-wide too. They said that all students really need to have more diversity training in general. Uh, Even some Greek leadership that I spoke with said that diversity training might not be enough because if you're between the ages of 18 and 21, these mindsets are pretty fixed at this point and Mm -hmm. that more, if the university is going to do anything at all, they really need to reinforce a zero tolerance policy so that people don't think that this behavior is okay. I sat down with SA President Peak Senchua last week who told me his reaction to the meeting in Funger. 
Yeah, I think that um, it really was a show of the black community at GW coming together to talk about an issue that has affected them um, for as long as they've been in, you know, this country. Um, I think it was a space for them to um, express their anger, their discontent, their sadness um, of the issue, but also an opportunity for them to figure out what to do next and how to um, use this moment of unity through um, a situation of racism to um, try and um, change things at this university. And I think the most like exciting part of the story is that like it's not over. There are still more things to come. We haven't heard from President LeBlanc about this issue, and we haven't heard for sure if the chapter is going to be expelled from campus or if the girls are going to be expelled. We don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. So what what are you kind of looking for in the next couple days, weeks? Right, so we're really looking for either a statement or a comment from the Alpha Phi International Organization Uh because they would have the most definitive thing to say about the status of this chapter on campus. We also do, like you said, want to see what President LeBlanc is going to say about this because as of now, the the main administrator that we've heard from is Provost Forrest Maltzman and he he released a statement via GW Today overall condemning this behavior. Mm -hmm. And then even at the meeting, you had Tim Miller saying similar things. But we do want to see what other administrators have to say about this, like the director of Greek Life, Christina Wickowicki. And we want to see also how students are going to take it if Alpha Phi remains on campus, like, mm-hmm. will they feel safe? Do they feel like this is a just move and how they can move on from this? And are there any kind of, like, actions planned by students, like any kind of demonstration? Students are planning more follow-up meetings. So, like, on Saturday, this is going to be addressed at a general Greek life meeting for sorority and fraternity members. And then mm-hmm. also this week, I'm sure there's going to be more follow-up meetings. I did hear from several Uh, leadership members in the multicultural Greek council that they will be following up on this within their community. All right. Thank you for keeping us updated and we'll definitely be looking for more on this story. Yeah, for sure. I'll keep you up to date on this. Kayla also this week has a very interesting headline uh, for one of her stories, how the Food Institute did a survey about the dining plan on campus and they may be, GW may be setting students up to fail. Yeah, it's pretty crazy story um, that's coming out of the Food Institute. So it was actually three Food Institute fellows, um, two seniors and a junior who did this study of different aspects of GW's dining plan and basically found that students are going into this program um, not with too many resources and then the resources that they have once they get there um, aren't too great and they don't have many options available to them to stay on a healthy diet um, to stay within their budget. So is this was this Food Institute report like strictly based on nutritional value and things like that? Yeah, that was actually the most surprising part of it, yeah. in my opinion. So we can kind of go into this. So if you go on GW's GW Dining's website, they have these little example profiles of imaginary people who have different lifestyles and spend different mm-hmm. amounts of money per week, and they're kind of showing you how to stay within your dining budget. So you'll go on, and it'll be like meat, 
X person. He has an like an active lifestyle and he works out four times a week. Um, he tries to eat healthy, but here's what he eats for seven days, right? Mm-hmm. So they went through each of these days, which are strictly based off of money. They don't show anything else like about the types of foods that they're eating. They're just saying, okay. like, this is what they're eating and this is how much it costs. And they basically found that these people are not hitting any of the nutritional guidelines that are recommended. And they, in some cases, these people with active lifestyles who are working out four times mm-hmm. a week are eating 900 calories a day. And Ooh. that was in multiple examples where they were only eating 700, 800 calories. And I mean, even some some of them were like in the like 1,800 calorie range. But for right. a male student, a male college student, the recommended amount of calories is 2,400. Like none of them met that. And mm-hmm. females is 2,000. Um, so the, the majority of these just did not hit any of those marks. And... What were the what was the Food Institute saying like the consequence of that would be like if they have these examples to go off of? Well, they were basically the researchers were basically saying, okay, like it's great that GW provides these resources sure. and it's great that they're trying to to offer this help to students, but students shouldn't be using this as an example because mm-hmm. it's not a healthy way of living. Um, so what can you really do with that? But did they, like, with nutrition, what were the other aspects of the study that they looked into? Part of the study also looked at how the university takes a 10% cut of all G-World sales. So when you go to Whole Foods and you're buying your a fruit or whatever you're buying there, and when you swipe your G-World at the register, you GW takes 10% of that. Mm-hmm. So what the researchers found was that because vendors have to pay this extra fee to GW, a lot of them were raising their prices so that maybe at Whole Foods or at another diner or another vendor in like district or something like that, the food that you're getting is actually a little more expensive than you would pay with your credit card at another location because they are raising the price to compensate for G-World. So then what this does is GW is basically saying put X amount of money on your G-World every year, but then go to these vendors and pay this increased amount because we are taking a cut of your money back. Are other peer schools doing similar things like raising like the debit card or taking 10% of profits? They conducted a an analysis of some of our peer schools like Northeastern, Georgetown, NYU. None of them specifically took... 10% 10% of mm-hmm. the sales from whatever their dining plan is. Uh, Penn State, which isn't one of our peers, but is one of the schools that they looked at, charges about $1,400 as a base cost for each meal plan purchased each semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something they didn't find the specific amount that the university takes for the other schools that they looked at. Who else has seen this report? Yeah, first, the, the administrations received it. These okay. girls emailed the report to President LeBlanc over break, asked him for a sit-down meeting to talk more about this, but he declined. So they showed up to his office hours, and they talked about it. There, they said he but seemed very... that's only for 15 minutes. Right, right but they, they said he seemed very receptive to changing the dining plan. Um, university spokeswoman Lindsay Hamilton told us that the university is also currently looking into um, changing the dining plan or making changes to the dining plan uh, based on student feedback and those announcements will come in the in the upcoming weeks so that is happening there's also reaction that's happening from the student association so the SA president and vice president or executive vice president have seen this report so Peak and Sydney who who are the president and vice president they 
are using this report in part to shape their agenda for the semester. Food insecurity is something that they're focusing on. We talked a little bit about that as well today. Um, But there is also an essay resolution that is coming out at Monday's meeting where everyone is going to talk about... um, where basically this resolution recommends that the university should raise the amount of money are on the dining plans, should expand financial aid, um, should reevaluate its meal deal program, which echo many of the sentiments that we were talking about when we were talking about Peak and Sydney's agenda. Um, but this is a resolution that's coming out that specifically cites this memo, mm-hmm. and it's coming out of the meeting on Monday. Are there any other recommendations that the report makes that maybe can be taken into account by administrators or maybe that students can just like do on their own. The fellows didn't have any particular recommendations about that. They said the most important thing that comes out of this is for the university to open a dialogue with students about the dining plan. Mm -hmm. They said that that doesn't really exist right now and that students are most directly impacted by this, obviously, so there needs to be some sort of conversation there. But they also said that the university could consider taking a lesser cut of money from their... Um, G-World program when students are swiping that at vendors on campus Um, and they also said the the program could be more flexible for students who have um, different types of needs and they also said that because GW's dining vendor or dining partner restaurant associates pulled out of their contract in December Mm -hmm. and the university is currently in the process of searching for a new dining partner to operate like Pelham and to do catering in the Marvin Center the university has an opportunity to reevaluate its priorities and um and really do something with Pelham Hall or Pelham Commons, I'm sorry. Thanks, Kayla, for talking to us about more food insecurity issues. Yeah, of course. I'm sure this won't be the last time. This week, culture is doing something a little bit different. And instead of talking about new restaurant openings, we're talking about places around D.C. that you know, but are definitely overrated. I'm here with Matt to talk about the places. Hey, Liz. Hello, let's get started. So the first place that our reporter Sim Matal wrote about was Old Ebbet Grill. Matt, what's your take? I would say, like, I guess it's overrated if I can't even remember, like, the one time I went my freshman year. The only thing I would really say was a fixture in my mind was the median age of the place probably being 45. (laughs) It's definitely, like, a place you take your parents. You only go, like, that one parent's weekend. Yeah, that Colonial's weekend out here. Yeah, definitely... (laughs) That's the one time. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's the oldest restaurant in D.C. Like, presidents used to go there, but honestly, like, not worth the hype. So this one might be a little controversial to some people, um, including me. But um, what do you think about Jumbo Slice, Liz? Mm, You're right. This is a tough one. I think it depends on how drunk you are. (laughs) Well, I mean... Being from Jersey, I love me a good, greasy, disgusting humongous slice of pizza so like honestly none of these kind of descriptors really deter me from wanting to stuff my face okay that's fair but have you ever seen this place in the daylight you do not want to (laughs) (laughs) what our reporter actually dug up that they were closed on december 28th for health code violations and some of them were things like operating without a manager but it was also because they were operating under gross unsanitary conditions which who knows what that means Not going to go for that. (laughs) Yeah, that changes things. (laughs) But again, if you're out and it's like your last resort, maybe you can give in. Can't resist. The next place we featured is Crepe Away. Matt, take us back to freshman year. Were you a Crepe Away person? Were you not? Like, no, because that online delivery service freshman year was so 
confusing. I was always like right at the like third window or something and just tuckered out. But I do remember CI Weekend it being like the thing that people took you to. Oh yeah, the place to go. And like no one told me it was the only time I was even going to set foot in that that restaurant. But you know. Have you ever been to like the late night turn into a club thing that's really overhyped? No. Have you gone? What's your... I haven't been. I've ordered online like maybe once, got it delivered to Thurston back in the day. But um, our reporter, Sim, said that, you know, it's very much freshman. You know, you're 18. You Maybe you go to a club and then crepe away is your end point. It's the end game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if 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 your end of the night ends in crepe away, like girl, you probably should have just hit the pillow. Like, <laughs> At that point, it's time to go. <laughs> so the last thing Sim talked about was the Harborside restaurants. That is Nick's Riverside Grill, Tony and Joe's, and Sequoia. So has anyone ever been to those? Like, I feel like those are places that you walk by a thousand times. Maybe you go like once with your again with your parents, but it's like not relevant (laughs) yeah it's got a cute a lot of cute fountains yeah i mean it's all about the view so like you're paying what like 20 to 30 dollars for a mediocre like cheeseburger but what you're really paying for is to be by the potomac which in my opinion overrated so what would you add to the list matt any like bagel place on or near campus barring gw deli probably just isn't doing it for me Uh, i'm a more of a like just humongous loaded bagel type person and all of them are like soggy and expensive Mm, but deli does it for you deli does the trick they set me up okay that's good good news what about you hmm i would have to say i mean this is basic but all of the cupcake trends like what is this for real (laughs) they're like always humongous they are always you always literally like lay in, like you're like, I could have the second half. You don't eat the whole thing? I <laughs> go, I want to, but then I literally you know go. saves a half, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and to all those restaurants we've just finished tearing down, know that everyone has their own opinion. Isn't that right, Liz? Yes, it's true. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. It was fun. Absolutely. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Leah Potter and Meredith Roten and features culture editor Liz Provincher. Getting to the Bottom of It is produced by assistant video editor Ariana Dunham, managing editor Tyler Lumpus, and assistant copy editor Emma Tyrell. And music was produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Kayla Harris and Matt Dines for joining us. See you next week.